Hello, hello. Happy Sabbath, everyone. If you've been joining us for the past five or so weeks, um, we've been in a, a series called The Book of Esther. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but it's been a huge blessing for me. Um, and it's the first time we've ever really done a series where we went through a singular book in the Bible. And although we didn't chronologically go through every single chapter, uh, we did touch on five key main aspects of the book of Esther. Uh, and if you're here, you know, um, we had the uh, first three parts done by Pastor Chris, and then I jumped in at one point, and we closed out the series last week uh, with Pastor Eden's message about the book of Esther. Um, just a quick recap, in the first three parts of our series, Pastor Chris talked about the point of the book of Esther. And I don't know if you remember, he made a really strong kind of big deal about how the point of the book of Esther isn't in fact Esther the character. And the point of the book of Esther is how you see God work behind the scenes throughout the book of Esther, despite the fact that God is never explicitly mentioned within the book of Esther. And in the second part of the series, Pastor Chris talked about how the organizational structure of the book of Esther, I don't know if you remember the term chiasm, where the middle point of the book of Esther is kind of a pivotal moment for the entire book to, uh, to pivot around, and how that revealed something about God's character, how that it's in God's character to be a God of reversal, and how God is able to switch situations around on its head. And that the God of reversal in the book of Esther, throughout the Bible, is still the God of reversal today. And then in part three, Pastor Chris kind of closed out his section by talking about maybe the most challenging part of that series. And it was on the faithfulness of God and how it's not always easy to see the faithfulness of God in the present. And it's much more clear when you have the perspective of hindsight and looking back. And how a lot of times when it comes to God's faithfulness, it's easy for us to confuse our unfaithfulness with God's unfaithfulness. And a lot of times it's our mistakes that we make that impact our lives and we confuse it with God being unfaithful in our lives. And then I jumped in a few weeks ago and talked about um, how we can see God working behind the scenes in the book of Esther. Again, the name of Yahweh or God or anyone praying or referring to God is never mentioned in the book of Esther. But you can still definitely see God working behind the scenes through providential circumstances, through like what are the odds that this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And you see God working through Esther and Mordecai and their courage and bravery and standing up for the community that's supporting them as well. And last week, uh, Pastor Eden closed out the series by talking about the actual character of Esther. And we talked about how Esther may not actually be that, you know, per picture perfect Disney princess kind of character. How she had some flaws and she didn't follow all the rules. But despite that, God was still able to use her and she was still able to be faithful. And again, I don't know about you guys, but these past five weeks have been a really, really huge blessing for me. Because at every single one of these points, as we uh, delve deeper into the book of Esther and hearing Pastor Chris, hearing Pastor Eden and preparing for my sermon... Um, it showed me a lot of relevance in the book of Esther in my own life. Um, and I'm sure, and today's message is going to be a little bit different. Um, and you may have noticed by how long that intro recap just was. But we're going to add one more part uh, to this series of the book of Esther. But this week's message, the message I'm giving today, is going to be a little bit different. Um, and it's not something we hear a lot at rock, at least from the pulpit. We hear it a lot through FNL and other, uh, other mediums. But we don't really get too much of this from the pulpit. Um, and today what I'm going to be sharing is kind of my testimony and kind of my life story. And I realized in perspective when I saw Pastor Eden preach here um, last week. And it kind of hit me like, wow, like that was me, exactly me, like three years ago. Except, you know, a little bit different when I was here. And then it hit me like throughout this entire series at how much relevance and how much I could relate to the story of Esther within my own life. And so because I had just had so many of those moments throughout this series, I just felt compelled to share a little bit of my own story and how the parallels and how I've seen God's faithfulness in my own life. Because there were so many parts um, in the past month where I was like, yeah, like I have seen God reverse the situation in my life. 
I have seen God be faithful in my life, looking past. And in the moment, I didn't think God was being faithful. But now with some perspective, looking back, I can see how God was working behind the scenes. And I can see how God, despite the fact that I was the most faithful person throughout my life, was still able to use me in certain situations um, and whatnot. So I decided to share my testimony. But a, a bit of a disclaimer before we get into it. Um, I would say that my testimony is not a particularly like flashy one. And what I mean by that is if you were here a little over a month ago, we had our weekend of revival. And Dr. Joseph Kidder came in from Andrews and he shared his testimony. And his testimony, the subtitle of his testimony is how God saved me from the streets of Baghdad. And like you hear his testimony about how God saved him from a life and death situations and how he got beat up by family members and like how God saved him from like he should have been dead, but he wasn't. Um, my testimony is nowhere near as dramatic as that. And you hear his testimony, you're like, dang, this sounds like a movie. It sounds like a book. And it is a book. And you hear that, it's like, wow, like that's amazing. This is not that kind of testimony. It's also not the kind of testimony where I call this kind of the prodigal son testimony, where a lot of people have a testimony where it's like, yeah, like I don't have a period in my life where I was living in like debauchery and drunkenness and like, you know, all this. I wasn't. I don't really have a time in my life where I like really like, you know, fell off the deep end or like did something, anything crazy. Um, I really didn't. And I don't know if you guys have heard like kind of the stereotypical testimony. If you've been at like camp meeting or Kayams where like a pastor will come up and like, yeah, I used to be in a gang. I've like killed people. I was in jail. And then I found Jesus. I also have like five face tattoos. And yeah, like, but I found Jesus. And now I'm like here to share. I don't have that either. I've never done any of those things. Um, honestly, if like God didn't rescue me from the streets of Baghdad, from life and death situations, God saved me from like a lukewarm, indifferent life from the suburbs of Orange County. Like that's the subtitle of my testimony. Nowhere near as dramatic. But my hope is this. Um, at the very least, um, as memorable as those testimonies are, and I've heard so many of those testimonies where someone gives a talk about how like I was here and I was a totally, like you would not recognize me if you saw me 10 years ago and then Jesus brought me here. And those testimonies are really, really powerful. But to be honest, um, they're not as relatable for most of us. Most of us probably have never been in those situations before. Um, so my hope is at the very least, this can be slightly relatable to some of the people in here. If you're in college or younger, um, maybe you can, there are parts of my life that you can relate to and maybe see God have working in your own life in similar ways. Um, so with that, I invite you to join me in a word of prayer as we get into our word for today. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, as I speak, Lord, I ask that you speak through me, Father. And at the end of the day, Lord, this really isn't, a, this testimony, despite it being about my life, really isn't about me at all, Lord. It's about, similarly to the book of Esther, Lord, it's about how you have been working behind the scenes throughout my entire life and guiding me to the place where I am today. And how you being a part of my life has changed my life in a way where I could have never even imagined, Father. So Lord, I ask that you speak to me, Lord, um, share your word through my life. Praise in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, if you don't know me, if you're joining us online, you don't know too much about me or if it's your first time visiting. Um, I'm Jonathan. I've been the youth pastor here for about two and a half years. Um, if you are here last week, our youth intern who's actually doing children's worship right now, um, I was in the exact same position he was. About three years ago, the summer of 2018 is when I came here to Rock for the first time. I did my summer internship here. I went back to school to finish my last semester at Andrews. And then I got a call uh, to come back to Rock. And then I've started uh, full-time since February 2019. So I've only been here about two and a half years. Um, but a lot of you may not know this. I was actually born in Korea. My parents immigrated to the United States when I was around four years old in 2001. Um, and I was essentially, like many of the people in this room, I was born into an Adventist family. Neither of my parents were born Adventist, um, but they had both converted before they met me. And so I was essentially born into an Adventist family. And growing up, spirituality and church and God was a really strong emphasis 
um, in our house. Um, and while we never really had, I know there's some people here that grew up with family worship. And, you know, I, don't, I can't say I'm jealous of you guys. But I knew, I knew some people in my church that had family worship. I did not have family worship, which I was, you know, I'm not sad about. But one thing my mom made me do every day was she said, every morning you have to read a chapter, at least a chapter of the Bible. Um, and ever since I was a really little kid. And so that kind of became a part of my team growing up. And I still remember, like, that first Bible that I had. It was like a bluish, purplish Bible with some people climbing a mountain. It was called the Adventurer's NIV Bible. And it had all these, like, kind of subtext and, like, explanation things. Um, so for a really big chunk of my life, that was how I spent every day. I woke up, read a chapter through the Bible. It feels like Psalms. She made me read, like, five or six chapters. Um, and then I would sit down, eat breakfast, and start my day. Now, so that, because of that, once I hit around like late junior high, which is around when I stopped doing that, at that point I had read through the Bible maybe like four or five times, which sounds much more impressive than it is because for the most part I was like just reading for the sake of reading. It was just a book. And I don't know that I would have categorized that part of my life as like, oh, I'm, I'm sitting down to spend time with Jesus. Or I'm like reading to, what, to see what this text tells me about the character of Jesus. It was just like I'm reading this so I can eat breakfast and then I'm just going to go on with my day. And so the only real, like, benefit I saw from this was that, I don't know if you guys grew up playing this game. At Rock, it's called Sword Drill, but I've never heard it called that before ever in my life. But if you grew up in church, you've probably played this game before, where everyone's sitting there with a paper Bible, and the teacher will yell out, like, a random Bible text. 2 Corinthians 2.5, and the first person, shh, everyone flips, finds it, and raises their hand. And the first person that finds it gets, like, a sticker or a point or, like, a little candy bar. I was, like, really good at that game. Like, I don't mean to like to my own horn when I talk about this, but I was like wildly good at that game. And I don't know if you know the kid, everyone knows. If you grew up at church playing that game, like you know the kid that was really good at that game. And that kid was usually like a little weird. Like a little weird. And I fit that stereotype pretty completely. I was a little, little weird. I was like the kid that always raised his hand in Sabbath school. Like, oh, like I know what that is. Um, so that was kind of my experience with church. And growing up in church, I can't say... Um, as, it, as involved as my parents were, so both my parents were very involved in church. My dad volunteered at the AV group. My mom ran the children's ministry for the longest time. I can't say that I, like, loved church. Part of the reason for that was I never really had friends my age at church. So there was never anyone my age at church. And if they were, there weren't any guys my age at church. So a lot of times I was, like, hanging out with, like, my sister's friends. Or, like, the way older guys who were like, all right, I guess you can come. Yay, and I hang out with them. So I never really had that many friends at church. And so I never, like, loved going to church, especially as a younger kid. To be fair, though, me loving church or not was highly irrelevant because attending church was not an optional event at my home. We were going regardless. Um, and so I was always, church was always a big part of my life. But again, especially when I was in, like, children's ministry age, I can't say that I, like, was really excited about going to church and seeing my friends and hanging out. It was like, all right, well, we're going to church that's what we do. I have to wear a button up, I sit there, and I come back home. Um, but again, because my mom was so involved at church, both my parents were in the children's ministry, really early on, I got like kind of drafted to help out. And so right now at our church, you notice there's a pretty big gap in the middle of this section. That's because a lot of our kids are currently in the side chapel doing children's church, where they're having their own separate worship. At my home church, we did that every week. So every week there was a separate children's service. Um, the adults, the Korean ministry would worship. The English ministry, if you're in fifth grade or above, would worship. And anyone under fifth grade would have their own worship. And they would sit there. And because my, man, my mom ran that, one day I was in like junior high. She'd be like, hey, you want to give the, the children's sermon talk? And I was like, I was like just in children's ministry like a year or two ago. Like, why would I do that? And she's like, all right, you're going to do it next week. 
And let me tell you, that's one of the most traumatic moments of my life. I distinctly remember, like, I had printouts of, like, pictures and stuff to show the kids. And at one point, I'm, like, I was standing there. I was sweating profusely, speaking really quickly. And I was holding up an image of, like, a raccoon to show these kids. And my hand would not stop. I was, like, okay, so this is a raccoon. And, like, the kids were, like, what is going on? So from a pretty early age, I was uh, involved at church. My mom and dad made a really big point of, like, hey, whenever you see anyone doing anything, go up to ask them, hey, how can I help out? How can I do this? I don't want you just sitting around doing nothing. Go help people out. And so that was kind of my church experience growing up. And kind of the more pivotal, impactful ministries that I got involved in at an early age was praise. Um, pretty early on, um, our pastor had kind of like a master class and said, hey, if anyone wants to learn how to play guitar, you stick around for church for an hour or two after potluck, I'll teach you. There's a group of five or six of us. Um, now, if you've been here at Rock for a while, for the youth at our church, being a part of praise is like, it's kind of an established thing. A lot of our church youth, and especially the college kids that have graduated, have all been kind of a part of praise at some point. And praise at Rock, especially for the youth, it's like, it's kind of cool. Like, oh, like you kind of want to be on the praise team. And it's kind of like, like a thing that like people look forward to and like. Um, and really, if you've been here for a while, the standard for our youth praise teams is just as high as the standard for our other praise teams. And it's like there's a high level of professionalism. People are involved. At my home church, it was like pulling teeth to get kids. Like, please, don't you love Jesus? Like, come on, can you play piano? Like, there were no rehearsals. It was like during Sabbath school, like, real quick, real quick, let me tell you the set. And then the keys real quick. And then we'll just go through it. And it was like, it was not that kind of vibe. But again, it was just like, no one else is going to do it. I might as well learn guitar. But I will say, though, that when I look back on my life growing up in church, being a part of praise and then eventually being asked to lead praise. I still remember the first time I was asked to do praise and, like, I helped out after, like, taking lessons. Like, I didn't even stand up. Like, everyone at praise stands up. I played guitar and they didn't even give me a They just gave me a chair and said, here, sit here. And I sat there and just playing along. And eventually at one point it led to someone asking me, hey, we really need a praise leader. You're, like, our last option. Do you think you could lead praise? And that moment right there, like, leading praise was probably one of the most pivotal, impactful moments growing up in church for me. Um, and as I go into talking about like kind of my schooling, especially when I went through high school and I started to disconnect a little bit from church and God, I would say that leading praise, being involved in praise was one of the things that kept me kind of angered and coming back to church. Hey, we need you to lead praise this week. Can you be there early? Pick a set list. Um, speaking of that, um, the way I grew up in school, uh, my schooling system was kind of a little unique. I grew up more or less within the Adventist education system. So I went to a really, really small Adventist academy from like kindergarten through maybe like through the fifth grade. And by small, I mean it was K, the school was K through eight. And at most, at its peak, like it was doing so well, there were 50 kids at the school. And at its lowest point, just before I left, there were 20 kids. And at no point in that time was there ever more than one other person my grade. And because of that, it caused a bit of a skew for me as like, as I viewed my intellect. So I thought I was really advanced as a kid because I was in that class and there was like only one other kid my grade, right? And I was like, flying through reading and stuff. And she was like struggling a lot. And then I found out later, she's like, oh, like I have dyslexia, right? That's why I can't read. But I was like, I'm killing it. Like the quick brown fox jump. And then she was like, dude, it's cause I have dyslexia. And as a third grader, that sounds like a made up word. I was like, okay, whatever, you have dyslexia. You can't read this sentence. But I was like, I'm, I'm like a genius. Like this is crazy. I'm very much advanced. Um, and that was kind of how I grew up in like a really small school. Kind of paints the picture of the kind of kid that I was. 
And then for sixth grade, I transferred to like a bigger academy, kind of like PAA. And I went from one other kid in my grade to 18 other kids in my grade. So still small compared to like a public school. But for me, that was like night and day. Eight other, or 18 other kids in my grade, we would walk in between classes. I had a locker room. But still, it was in Adventist Academy. And then after my sixth grade year, uh, because of finances, my mom was like, it's really far, it's expensive, just go to the local public school. And so from seventh grade till I graduated high school, I was just in like the local public school system. Um, so I've kind of did a little bit of both through that, throughout that. And so it was right around when I started, you know, public school and then like getting to high school that uh, the question came up, as it does, and it's a very stressful question, I imagine, if you're in high school, um, maybe if you're in college, you remember the first time people started really asking you this question, and it was, hey, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, what, what do you want to be? Like, you're, you know, you're about to enter freshman year, maybe people ask you early on as, you know, when you're in junior high, and the question was, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to study? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do for the rest of your life? How do you want to make money? How are you going to survive out there? Right? And as a kid, it was a really, really stressful question. And growing up, I didn't give it much thought. I was like, when I was a kid, I would just say whatever. Like, oh, like, I really loved like, mystery novels growing up. So for the longest time, I told my friends, my friends, my family, I'm going to be a detective when I grow up. And it's like, oh, that's cute. Okay. And then one time I watched like a documentary about farmers. And I told my mom, I'm going to be a blueberry farmer. And she was like, okay, that's fine. But the minute I hit like junior high, high school, she was like, all right, enough with the jokes. You're going to be a doctor, right? I was like, what? And for, and my, I don't know, some parents are a little more subtle about it. My parents were pretty like, you're going to be a doctor, right? And I was like, what? Like, can we talk about this? And she's like, pretty sure we just did. You're going to be a doctor. And I was, for the longest time, I was like, I mean, I guess, sure. But once I hit high school, um, I realized pretty quickly on, and I don't know if it was a part of me was just like, I was like, I don't want you to tell me how to live my life. Or the fact that if you were here two Sabbaths ago, I shared an illustration of how I did on a chemistry test. Um, and if you were here, and if you weren't, all of our sermons are online. And you're like, oh, well, I wonder what everyone's talking about. All of our sermons are online, on demand, where you ever listen to podcast, um, part four of the book of Esther. I shared an illustration of how I did very poorly on, on a chemistry test. And I want to, like, clear the air here. That was not, like, organic chemistry. That was a biochem. It was an AP chem. It was an honors chem. It was high school, sophomore, regular chemistry. And I was like, I can't. I can't be a doctor. I shouldn't be a doctor, honestly. This is not okay. And so I knew pretty early on, I was like, this is not for me. I cannot go to med school. People will die. Like, this is not okay. But I like, and like, I would try to present this to my parents. Like, I can't. Like, I don't want to. I can't. I shouldn't for everyone else's sake. And she was like, no. Like, you have to be a doctor. And I was like, what? And so a lot of like high school, pretty early on in high school, I was like, all right. I understood her heart. As a mother, as an immigrant family, money was always tight. And so I understood where she was coming from. And I was like, all right, I get why you want me to be a doctor. But I also don't think you understand why I shouldn't be a doctor. So I can't convince you. So I said, let's compromise. So what I told her early on was, let me go, let me be a lawyer. Let me go into the legal field instead. I look at my grades. I look at my, you know, I feel like that plays more to my strengths. I'm going to be a lawyer. And I was like, you know, like, they do pretty well financially. Da, da, da. There are lawyers at our church. I could ask them for stuff. And she looked at me and said, yeah, but, like, I don't think you can be a good attorney and have Christian values. And I was like, one of our elders is a lawyer, so I don't know what you're trying to say. And, like, the vibe I got as a kid was, like, it sounds like you don't think I can do it. It sounds like, which is crazy because, like, med school is insanely hard too. But I was like, it sounds like you don't think I have what it takes to do this. And so for a lot of high school... It was me trying to convince my parents I can do it. Like I have what it takes to compete, to be competitive, to build a good high school resume, to get into a good school. 
and like make a lot of money. And like even at that age, if you were to ask me like, hey, what kind of law do you want to do? The rich kind. Like whatever makes the most amount, I don't know, any, I just want to make a lot of money. That's like the mentality I came with. And so a lot of high school from that point on was me realizing I need to convince my parents that I can do this. And whatever the equivalent of like entering into the rat race looks like at a high school level is like, that's kind of what it became. Like, what can I do to build this up? What can I do to make the best like resume, spec'd out resume? So I took as many AP classes I, as I could take and squeezed them in there. Um, I took, I signed up for debate tournaments, competitions. Um, I did, uh, I don't know if you guys know what junior, like ROTC is. I did that in high school. I walked around in a uniform and stuff. I got involved in on-campus clubs. I did internship at a legal organization my junior year going into my senior year of high school. Um, basically, I just try to stack it as much as possible and be like, hey, I told you, I can do this. Like, I'm going to do this, actually, whether you like it or not, right? And, oh, and because of this, and because this really became a really big focus of my life in high school, inevitably, um, God and church kind of took a backseat. Intentional or not, I would argue it probably wasn't very intentional. Um, again, during this time, I never really, like, I hate God. I don't believe in God. It was just, God's not that important right now. I got other things I got to do. I can spend time with God the rest of my life. I would still go to church um, because, again, that wasn't an option. But... I would miss a couple Sabbaths. Oh, I got a debate tournament. I can't be at church. Oh, I got like a Taekwondo competition. I can't be at church. I have an ROTC meet, basketball game. I can't be at church. And like a little bit, I would argue like my parents kind of got caught up in like, okay, well, he needs to build a good college resume. What's a couple Sabbaths here and there? Missed a couple Sabbaths. I wasn't as involved at church. Um, my sister was much more involved in like youth activities and events and stuff. I would attend. And again, really the main kind of focus that like tethered me to church was I was still very involved in praise. And I, would, I was on the rotation for leading out praise teams. Um, because there weren't that many at our church, that was actually fairly often. And whenever there were like bigger like youth rallies and stuff, they would ask me and my team if we could lead. And those were kind of the few interactions where I'd be like, okay, like this, I feel like I'm doing something churchy, something spiritual. This is my Jesus time. And again, during that time, like as many high school students can probably relate to, like Devo, like, like waking up before school um, to do devotion is kind of like, that sounds insane. It's hard enough to wake up on time as it is. So like spending time with Jesus, uh, not so much. I mean, when I was in academy, we had a Bible class. Once I went to public school, there was nothing like that. So it was really hard for me to carve out any intentional time to like spend time with Jesus, learn about Jesus, grow in Jesus. All of that sounded a little cheesy and took a backseat for me. Honestly, first things first, let's take care of this. I need to be able to build this as well as I could. Um, and again, it also didn't help that again, growing up in church, I didn't have that many friends at church. There are not a lot of people my age at church. Um, so because of that, what eventually ended up happening as I became an upperclassman was like, I would show up for youth events, be like, oh, like, what are we doing today? Oh, that sounds lame. All right, well, I'm here at church. I'm going to peace out. I'm going to hang out with my high school friends. And then, no, you'll see me next week kind of thing. Um, so that was kind of where I was for a lot of high school. And that was kind of the mentality that I was in. We're like, this is what I need to do. This is like... At this stage in my life, this is probably the most important thing. I need to be able to get to this point in my life. And a part of it was kind of like, I need to show these people, like, I can do it. Like, what do you mean I can't do it? And so um, that took me to about, that all kind of built up to around my senior year of high school. Um, if you know, you're, if you're a senior in high school, you know that's around when you kind of have to know where are you going to go to college, what are you going to study, and then where do you think that's going to take you. Um, and for me, I was pretty set. I was like, all right, we're good. I'm going to do, like, study, you know political science or philosophy or something, and then, like, get into law school and then make a bajillion dollars. So that was my goal. And then, obviously, we came around to, like, okay, well, I need to now put that in writing. 
Like, I need to put that as, like, my major on my counselor packet. I need to start applying for schools. And my goal at the time was, you know, maybe I'll go to UC and see how it goes from there and then try to transfer. Or you go to UC and then see what law school I can get into. Or maybe I'll, like, go to community college for a couple years, save some money, because a lot of my friends were doing it, and then try to transfer into UC or USC, which I heard was pretty easy and doable to do. So that was kind of my plan. But once it came down to, like, all right, well, you need to put that in writing then. And then let's submit some papers. Let's fill out some applications. I felt like... Ooh, like a little bit of the weight of that decision coming in. And I don't know if you have recently, you know, gone through college applications or anything like that. You know, it's a little bit of like a, ooh, like, shoot, like this is the next four years of my life. It's pretty, you know, formative. Who knows what's going to happen? And so as a formality, I decided to, all right, well, let's pray about this. To be, to be frank, I wasn't from like a place of surrender or desperation. It was like, all right, well, like, you know, let me just make sure I get God's okay on this. I'm pretty sure I know what he's going to say, though. Only because that internship I got at that uh, legal organization going into my senior year was from someone at church. And there were a couple other people at our church that were maybe three or four years older than me that were already pursuing, like, law school. And so they gave me a lot of advice. They helped me out a lot. And so it was like, it just felt like all the pieces were working together. God is clearly opening doors for me through church. This is what he wants me to do. And so I prayed. And again, I didn't really expect anything out of the prayer. I was like, I'm going to pray and stand up, and then nothing's going to change. I'm going to go about living my life. Um, and I prayed, and it was a very simple prayer. Hey, God, I'm filling out college applications. It's been a while since we talked. Well, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? I'm pretty sure I know, but uh, maybe, you, maybe I want to hear you say it. And to this day, I cannot shake. It was like a, a, an emotional nudge, a physical, a thought, a mental, physical, spiritual little idea. And it was like, I want you to study theology. And when I tell you, I've never opened my eyes from a prayer so quickly in my life. I was like, whoa. Let's try that again. <laughs> Took a really deep breath. And again, and so for me, I was so convinced. I was like, wow. Like, stop daydreaming, Jonathan. Let's, let's pray seriously now. So I prayed again. God, I don't know. What do you want me to do? And again, I couldn't shake. It was like a really annoying, subtle, like, nudge, emotional thought. Kind of like push. Like, I want you to study theology. And when I tell you, I've never been so angry at God in my life, I was so like, what? What do you mean? And the reason I was so angry was because to this day, that is the strongest conviction I've ever had from God ever. Like that singular thought. Like I want you to study theology. And I was so mad. I was like, it's a little late for that. Don't you think, God? Like shouldn't you have told me this a little bit earlier? What about all of this stuff that I just did? All the Sabbaths I missed to do all this stuff, like, wouldn't you have told me that earlier so I didn't miss these Sabbaths? Like, so much of this didn't make sense. And I was like, how am I going to tell my mom? Like, how am I going to tell my mom that I'm going to study theology now? And there's so much of it about that that didn't make sense. And, like, so much of it that I felt like maybe, maybe that was just me. I don't know if you've ever had that prayer before. We had a prayer and a thought came into your mind and you're like, silly me. That must have been me. Let's try that again later. And so for about a month, I kept that to myself. I didn't tell anyone. And I didn't tell my pastor, I didn't tell my parents, I didn't tell my friends. I just kind of simmered on it. And I kept praying about it. And every time I prayed, that same little nudge. When I say I've never been so frustrated, annoyed, angry at God, like that month was when I was just so, I, I couldn't shake that thought. Um, and so what it came down to, about halfway through that month, because the deadline was coming in, packets had to be turned in, applications had to be filled out, um, I decided to get a little bit cheeky. And I distinctly remember this prayer. I was in my living room, I'm um, on the couch laying down. And it was at night. Everyone else was asleep. And the, the prayer I prayed was, God, if you want me to study theology and make that big of a turnaround right now, I'm going to need a sign. Like, 
I'm going to need a little something to, like, make this work. So I said, if you want me to do this, if this is really you, I want, some, I want you to make someone talk to me about you tomorrow. Like, t- have someone talk to me about Jesus tomorrow in school, right? Uh, the next day was, I think, a Monday or Tuesday. So I was like, all right. Again, went to a public school. Never, I had friends that were Christian, but like even if even at private schools, how often do you talk to like someone about God? Like, hey, like how's your relationship with God going in passing period? No one says that ever. So I was like, okay, let's see you do this, God. Again, very cheeky. Would not recommend this. And the next day, um, I had a zero period class, and then so it was kind of like a it was in, it was the ROTC class, and so we had like a PE class, and basically we played capture the flag. I was a senior. It was really early, and it was really really muddy. So because of this. I didn't play. My friends and I kind of just stood to the side and we're just talking, hanging out while everyone else was running around. And then after that, after that class was over, we all changed. And from the locker room going to our next class, um, it was me and then like two other friends. And they're like, hey, like, how come you didn't play? And I was like, because I took a shower this morning and I'm not trying to get dirty and start my day with mud. And, da, 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 da. and then I said this line. It was a cheesy line. I shouldn't have said it. But I was like, hey, don't you know, like cleanliness is next to godliness. So like, I'm like a god. That's, I said that, I was me in high school. If you wanted to like, what were you like in high school? I would say things like that. And so I said that to her, and then she looked at me, and she was like, you know, I was expecting, like, this is the part where you laugh. And like, ah, ha, ha, and then we go on. And she looked at me, and it got real weird. And I was like, oh, shoot, maybe she's, like, really religious. And I shouldn't have said that. Like, I offended her. But she looked at me, and she was like, you know, like, I don't know how I feel about God these days. And in my mind, I was like, this was a joke, like, you clearly didn't understand what's going on. I was like, have you never heard this saying before? And we kind of brushed it off and we walked to my next class. And I still remember, first period, I was an econ. And I sat there. And then I was like, what the heck just happened? And like, I like jolted in my seat. And I was like, what? Like, did that really just happen? And it was a mixture of like, on one hand, I was like, wow, I can't believe God did that. On the second hand, it was like, I felt really, really ashamed. I was like, I can't believe I asked God to do something like that. And then I can't believe he actually did that. Like, that's so crazy to me. And I sat there, and that's like one of the moments in my life. I remember sitting in that class, like jolting in my seat and be like, I can't believe that just happened. I never followed up with her about that. I never like revisited that conversation ever again. But that was the moment I became convinced. I was like, all right, I guess I'm studying theology now. The next big hurdle was, how am I going to tell my parents that I'm going to study theology? Right? And I thought about it because the reason I was so stressed was because it took my entire high school career and like 50 different extracurriculars for me to convince my parents, okay, maybe this guy can study law. Right? And then for me to go from that to like, I'm going to be a pastor, I was like, it's going to break our heart. Like, this is not going to be pretty. And so I prayed a lot, a lot about this. And I figured like I have to be really intentional about how I, you know, break the news to my parents. Um, and my dad actually found out accidentally. I left a packet on the dining room table. And it said major theology. And he read it. He's like, oh, Jonathan, you're studying theology? And I was like, yes. And he's like, okay, I didn't know that. And I was like, okay, that was cool. But again, I was never really worried about what my dad was going to say anyways. And so I remember the night I was going to tell my mom, I was really, really nervous. Um, I, you know, had a little bit of a rebellious streak when I was in high school. We had the greatest relationship. And so I remember I texted one of my friends. I was like, hey, man, I want to tell my mom. I'm going to study theology. If this doesn't go well, can I crash at your house tonight? Like, I just want to make sure I have a plan B. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've talked about this before. He remembers that text. He's like, okay, cool. And I remember we were at my mom's, like, favorite, like, sundubu restaurant, like a Korean stew restaurant. And, like, I waited till we were done. And after the meal, 
Um, it was like that time just before the check came and people were like, you know, you feel good. I had a good amount of food. And then I went to the bathroom. I said a quick prayer. And I was like, Jesus, like Jesus take, I think that might have been my exact prayer. Jesus take the wheel. Like I can't do this. And I came back outside. It's funny now, but at that moment, I've never been more stressed in my life. I was like, this is a make or break situation for me. And I remember telling her, I was like, hey, mom, like, remember, like, I was going to study law and you want to be a doctor. But I said, no, I'm going to be a lawyer instead. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like about that. And I was like, I've been praying a lot. Like, I've been praying a lot, a lot, a lot, mom. And here's the crazy thing. I've been praying and I feel that God loves me. <laughs> I said it like that. I was like, I feel like God loves me. And she's like, what? I was like, <clears throat> This is me. My mom was sitting in front of me. And my sister was here. And she was just like here for the show. And I was like, I feel like God wants me to be a pastor. And then it was maybe only two seconds, but it was silent. And all you hear was just restaurant background noise. And she was like looking down. And I was like, this is it. This is it. This is the last time I speak to my mom ever again. And then she looked at me and she said, if that's what God wants, then I guess that's what you're doing. And I was like what? <laughs> and I was like crying. I was like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. And like, I still remember like the car ride back home. And I was like, so shook. And in that moment, I prayed to God. And I was like, God, if you can do this, then you can do anything. Like in my mind, I was genuine. I was so sure. I was like, if you can convince, because I look back on like how hard I had to try to get from med school to like law school. And then I was like, theology at Andrews. If you can make that jump for me, then like you can, you can move mountains, splitting, that's, that's easy for you then. And at that point, that's when I was like, okay, that's awesome. And at that point is when like my friends started finding out and the church members started finding out. And this was when like I got a little discouraged. So like my friends started finding out that I was going to do theology. And again, at this point, most all of them knew like, oh, he's going to go to law school, go to UC or something. And then I told them, no, I'm actually going to do theology. And, you know, some of them were like, whoa, that's cool. What is that? Like, what? Like, oh, I'm going to be like a youth pastor. Oh, what? And like, I thought you were going to. And like the vibe I got for a lot of them was on one hand, like some of them were like, oh, that's so cool. You know, people at church were like, oh, my gosh, that's so awesome. Like, we need more pastors. And, you know, some people were like, wow, like, I'm so happy for you. But for the most part, people were like, oh, what? Some, one person was straight up like, what, why? <laughs> like, what? Why would you do that? And a lot of, like, the vibe I got from my friends that I told at school were like, oh, like, you couldn't, you figured you couldn't, you were competitive enough to do pre-law. So, like, you're just going to do theology. And I was like, dang. And that, like, kind of hurt. And I was like, ah, no. But I couldn't, like, let me tell you my testimony, sit down. Like, I couldn't do that either. And so I was really torn and discouraged for a lot of that. And I have um, a close family member that, that was a pastor at one point. And I told him, he was like, What? Why? And I was like, I thought you of all people would encourage him. He's like, what? Mm, I would think about that again. And so, like, again, there's a lot of mixed emotions afterwards. And one person at church I told, and I distinctly remember this, he was a little older than me, maybe three or four years older, and we were sitting in the car, and he turned around, he's like, hey, Jonathan. I was like, what? And he's like, I heard you're going to be a pastor. And I was like, yeah. And he started laughing. He started dying. And I was like, that's really messed up. Like, why would you laugh like that? And I was genuinely really hurt. And I was about to say something. I was like, hey, man, that's pretty messed up. And like trying to make it serious. Like, no, I feel like God. But before I could answer, he laughed. And he was like, hey, you want to know why I'm laughing? I was like, I would like to know why you're laughing. And he said, you know, he, remember when he used to tutor you? So going into my freshman year of high school, for the summer, he was like my math tutor. Um, because that early on, my mom was like, this kid struggles with math. And so, like, I, he was my math tutor at home. 
and then I remember he would tutor me in geometry. And, you know, he's a church child, and I think my mom just wanted to help him out, give him some, like, you know, yongton afterwards, or, like, allowance money. And so it's during this time, he's like, hey, remember when I did that? I was like, yeah, I remember you came over, and you, you know, teach me geometry and stuff. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In passing, I asked your mom, what do you want Jonathan to be when he grows up? I'm not there. And I asked her, and she was like, oh, I want him to be a doctor. Like, I want him to be a doctor. I think he'd be the best fit for him. Like, he'd be a good doctor. And, you know, all this stuff that comes to be a doctor. And then she said, but deep down, there's a part of me that kind of wants him to go into ministry. But I don't think that's something you should push on a kid. And I was like, what? My mom said, what? And I was like, so, like, again, another one of those, one of those moments where I was like, wow, that's actually so crazy that, like, you told me that. And again, that's one of those moments where, like, I can picture him sitting in the car, turning around and telling me that story. And it's kind of with that mentality. At that point, I was sold. I was like, all right, clearly this is what God wants me to do. And then I attended Andrews University, um, and I studied uh, theology there. And while I was in school, there were so many moments where, like, I was like, I can't do this. Like, as convinced as I was before I got there, once I got there, it seemed like the little, the smallest little, like, roadblock would be like, I can't do this. I had, like, financial issues really early on. And I was like, oh, we're not going to make this work. And then it was, like, one email I sent to one financial advisor who, like, I found favor in his eyes. And he's like, hey, let me see if I can find some money for you. Let me move some stuff around. Or that one time I really needed a job. I was like, all right, I told myself if I'm going to the, study theology and not, you know, be a lawyer or a doctor, then I'm going to do this. I'm not going to ask my parents for any money. And I was like, well, that means I need a job. Right? And finding a job where, like, everything just kind of worked out right when I needed it to work out. And people would come and help out. Or I would get involved in certain things. Or people would give me a little slip of information. Hey, this might help you. And it helped me tremendously. There are so many moments like that in college where I was, when I look back now and there were just this combination of all these small things that kept me there, kept me in theology, and kept me grounded enough. But I would say the biggest, most, like, life-changing impact during college was when I was sitting in the library I'm on the first floor, and I got a text message from Pastor Chris Chong, who at this point I have never talked to. I had never spoken to Pastor Chris. I had, ho- I had heard him speak at camp meeting a couple times, but, like, I wasn't even sure he even knew my name at that point. And he sent me a text, and he said, hey, this is Pastor Chris Chong from Rock Fellowship. We'd like to extend an internship invitation for you for the summer. Like, you would stick around and then, you know, just to see what it's like to, to be in youth ministry, get you some experience. And I still remember, like, where I was sitting in the library when I got that text. And the reality for, for me at that situation, and not everyone in Rock may have known this, at that point, I had never really done any level of ministry ever. Like, I was never really involved. Like, I didn't, like, you know, I preached maybe once at church, but I was never a youth leader. I wasn't the guy that was planning youth events. I attended church. I led praise. That's about it. And he texted me that. And in my mind, I told myself, when I said, yes, I'll take this internship, as excited as I was, I told myself this. I'm going to go to Rock. I'll be in Portland for two months, give or take. This is, and I viewed it as essentially, this is my last exit on this freeway. If I go to Rock and it doesn't work out. I go and I hate it. It doesn't work out. The kids and I don't match. Parents and I don't match. Pastor Chris and I, it does, oh, everything goes bad. Then I was like, in my mind, okay, then that's my sign. This must not be for me. And I was very strongly about like, I have not committed to anything yet. Let's see how this internship goes. Because again, at that point, I had never really done ministry before. And I was very nervous, as I'm sure all of you knew when I came here. And I started that internship. And like, there were so many moments in that internship where I was like, what is going on? I remember like, who am I that like, I remember one of the youth kids came, that was the first time I've ever been called pastor, ever. Very weird for me. Very, very strange for me. Well, kid came like, hey, pastor, not even Pastor Jonathan, just pastor. I was like, oh, that's weird. And there's so many moments in that internship where I was like, who am I 
that like I should be here right now. That like someone, that a youth, a high school kid would call me pastor. That a parent of a high school kid would call me pastor. There were so many moments where I like, it's not the greatest word, but a sense of like unworthiness. Of like, who, who am I that I'm here doing this right now? And there were so many moments where I was just so incredibly humbled. Where I was like, I can't believe I'm here doing this. And it was looking back at that time in my life, um, that internship. And I told this to Pastor Eden before he came. I was like, that is one of the most life-changing experiences of my life. And I still remember October 31st um, when I called Pastor Chris back. I said, hey, like I would love to come to Rock when the offer was extended to come here. And I still remember that moment um, coming back um, to church, um, coming back and accepting the call to come back to Rock Fellowship the following semester. And it's in this moment and it was this mentality that I had um, coming into this internship. And there's so many moments where I, look at that, where I look at my life. And like honestly, like nothing crazy happened. There were no miracles, no physics defying, walking on water, unlimited bread, none of that stuff. It was just... I got a phone call. I got a text from someone. Financial advisor helped me out a little bit. My mom said I could do what I wanted to do. It's all these little things that were by far like nothing crazy happened. But I look back on my life and I realized there are so many moments where like behind the scenes God was clearly working. And there are so many moments, even in ministry now, where I am so floored by what I am doing. And I asked myself, if I asked myself and my high school friends were up here, like, and we're talking about how like, oh, like I'm a pastor now. And they're like, Dude, it's so weird that you're a pastor. And like, it's like, I can't believe like people call you like P. John or Pastor Jonathan. I was like, I know, that's crazy. And I was like, if in that internship four years ago, you asked me like, hey, like if you asked any of my closest friends, family members, hey, like, do you think Jonathan could be a pastor? They'd be like, no, what? No, this guy can't. Not to say that I did anything wild or weird in high school, but just like, I definitely wasn't that guy where you look at and you're like, this kid looks like he could be a pastor one day. I definitely wasn't. And so there's, because I'm so cognizant of that, there's so many moments now when I'm here, even now, like on a pulpit preaching and like people are listening and paying attention because I'm giving away. It's like, it's so like humbling for me to realize like, how did I get here? Like, how did God move so many things behind the scenes for me to get to where I am now? And that humbling experience is, and as I was preparing for this message, I couldn't help but like, whoa, be a little bit shocked at like where I am now and how God put me there in spite of who I was to the position I am in now. And I realized, there are, I realized a couple things as I was you know, preparing this talk and, and sharing with you guys, um, just as I reflected on my life. I realized that looking back um, and my decision to follow Jesus, and, and this kind of came a year ago when for the first time um, as I was reflecting, I decided to do this with my mom. And I asked my mom this question. And this is something, as far as application goes, we like to give a little application or at our church, a little something you can do afterwards. And if you're a senior in high school, or if you have a child that's a senior in high school or an upperclassman in high school, I highly, highly encourage you, if you have not done so, to have this talk with your child or with your parent. But I asked my mom, I said, Mom, why, why, why do you care so much about God in church? I said, why are you a Christian? And I asked her that. And when I say, and again, I wasn't expecting as long, it was a really long conversation. I can't say I was expecting that. But the conversation I had afterwards was one of the most bonding, um, intimate, and like eye-opening experiences I've, I've ever had with a family member. And she shared her story of like, this is where I was and how she got converted. And like, there was a hospital bed involved and her looking out her window, all these crazy things. And like, you know, my parents met at church. And so there are all these crazy things that happened um, that led me to this. And it just, as I was 
thinking back on that conversation and preparing this message, I realized there is so much power in just someone's story. And I realized, I think one of the most powerful evident pieces of evidence for the existence of God and the power of God, yes, there are philosophical reasonings, there are scientific probabilities, there's all these things. But I truly think when someone shares a story about their life where I was person A, I found Jesus, and now I'm person B. And I can't imagine in my wildest dreams how I could have got from this point to this point by myself. I think that is one of the strongest pieces of evidence for a loving and powerful Savior. I genuinely think so. So I, I know it's going to be an awkward conversation to have, but if you're in college and high school and if you've never heard your parents' story or like, you know, like, Dad, Mom, why, why are you at church? Like, why do you believe in God? Why do you care so much that I care about God? I would highly encourage you to have that conversation. You initiating with a child or if you were in high school and college, ask that to your parents. Because I can almost guarantee you, you'll be pretty floored by the answer you get. And I think it would be such a bonding experience. Because for me, I think there is so much power in story. And for me, growing up, that was probably one of the most strongest reasons why, despite how disinterested I was in God, how I couldn't ever stop believing in the existence of God. Because he was just too real for my family, for my parents at least. If I was ever in a mood where I woke up early enough, I would always catch my mom, like, kneeling and facing window and praying for my family, for the church, for myself, for everyone. And, like, it was just like I looked at her and I was like, how could this, there's no way she's just doing this for show. Like, there's no way. And there are some families I know that were like, you know, the parents were really involved at church and they're different at home. My parents, that was definitely not the case. Whatever they did at church. It was replicated at home. Anything they expected of me to do, they did themselves. Like, if I was reading a chapter, my mom was studying three chapters at home. And, like, for me, it was just so real. Like, for at least I looked at my parents' lives and the way they lived, and I just couldn't shake that. Like, there's no way this is, you just, you're just making this up. For you, at least, I can tell it's very real. And that alone kept me from, like, I can't not believe in something like that, at least when I was in high school. And I realized it's kind of the last point as I was looking on my life. That following Jesus, and I know there's, there's a lot that goes around, and I'm sure most of the people in this room, you're here, because to a certain extent, that is a desire that you have in your life. Um, but following Jesus, I've realized, and we talked about this several times, Pastor Chris, myself, Pastor Eden mentioned, we had so many disclaimers throughout this series, how following Jesus is no guarantee of an easier life. And we talked about how despite the fact that God is a God of reversal and God has the ability and power to reverse situations, it's no guarantee that it'll, the situation you're in will reverse how you want it, when you want it to. That yes, God is a God of reversal. God can change, God can move, but that's no guarantee that he will in the way you want him to. So following Jesus is no guarantee that whatever situation you're in will be reversed how you want it to be reversed. It's definitely no guarantee of an easier life either. I can tell you that. If you look at any story in the Bible, people were generally much more comfortable before Jesus than after Jesus enters into their lives. Peter was probably much more comfortable and familiar with catching fish than he was preaching and speaking in front of people and healing people. So many people in the Bible where God enters into their lives and whatever he asks them to do, they're wildly uncomfortable about. Like, God, that's kind of crazy for me. So following Jesus is also no guarantee of a comfortable, easier life. But what I think I can say, looking back at my story and the life uh, my mom shared and, and the stories of the Bible, that I think the one thing that following Jesus can guarantee is that there's more. There's a guarantee that there's more to your life than whatever is happening now. Whatever you're worried about now, there's more to life than just getting good grades. There's more to life than just making money. There's more to life than just taking care of you. At the end of the day, following Jesus allows you to tap into something greater and more than just yourself. And I truly believe 
that is one of the most powerful experiences you can ever imagine. Being used by God for something bigger than yourself and your life is one of the most humbling experiences ever. And if you were ever in a situation where you're like, I need to see God move. Like, I need God to be more real in my life. If you put yourself out there and acts of and serving in a certain area, going out of your comfort zone and, 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 working, and working for others and, and serving in church in any other capacity, I guarantee you, once you step out of that comfort zone, in Jesus' name, to serve others, like, you will see God move in ways you could have never imagined. And you may regret it at first because it will be so wildly uncomfortable. But I still distinctly remember the first time I led praise. And I, let me tell you, I bombed it. It was not good. And I was like, I was sweating so much that sweat got in my eyes. I couldn't read the music. I was struggling. And then even then, and I'm like self-aware enough to like, as far as guitar and like singing goes, I'm like aggressively average at both. I'm definitely no like, you know, super talented vocalist or guitarist. But the first time someone came up to me at that first youth rally I led worship at, and someone came up to me and said, hey, I just want to let you know, like, I was really blessed by praise. Like, that was really powerful. Like, I cannot forget the feeling I have. Because on one hand, like, I knew I'm no talented vocalist. Like, they weren't blessed by my voice, that's for sure. Or by my guitar playing. There's no way. But the fact that, wow, God used me to bless someone else's life in spite of who I am. In spite of my flaws, my inconsistencies is one of the most humbling, moving moments I think anyone can ever experience in their life. And that's why um, the closing song we'll be singing is a song called Remembrance. And every time the bridge of that song comes up, I cannot help but be moved a little bit. And, and if you don't remember, the bridge goes, you've been so, so good to me. You've been so, so good to me. But it's that second line, oh, to think where I would be if not for you. Every time that line comes up, I can't help but think of the trajectory my life was on in high school and the kind of person I would have been I followed through with whatever ridiculous plan I came up with. And to be fair, following Jesus has not changed my life like a coin flip. I'm not a drastically different person. I don't stop, you know, I don't stop sinning anymore. I'm not this crazy person. It's been a gradual change. But I think I can strongly say that the trajectory of my life has changed since that point. And while I still forget many, many times, just coming up with the sermon, I realized it's been a while since I've remembered any of this stuff. And there are still times when I struggle to have a consistent personal relationship with God. And I'm far from perfect. But oh, to think where I would be if I had never accepted any of those calls. If I ignored all those thoughts, all those feelings, all those calls, all those moments with people, all those ministry moments. It honestly scares me a little bit to think where the person I would have been and the place I would have ended up at. Because it for sure would not have been here um, and had the privilege of serving here. So... We'll close with that as the praise team comes up. Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you so much just for who you are, God, and your faithfulness. And really the book of Esther and how relevant and how, how blessed I've been at least through this series of how you're a God that, as we sang earlier, you're here moving. And even when we can't see it, you're working. Even when we can't feel it, that you're there, you're still there and you never leave us, God. And you're a God whose faithfulness knows no bounds or knows limits, God. And you're a God that's loving and gracious and merciful and slow to anger and so incredibly patient um, with his people, Father. Thank you that um, you're willing to use people um, and that you love someone, love people so much despite of our flaws and that really the entire story of, of your existence in the Bible is that you're just someone that loves humanity so much that you can't give up on us, Father, and that your faithfulness and your love and your mercy is so great that it overshadows anything we could ever do, Father. And that despite our unfaithfulness, Father, you are God that is always, always faithful. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. Praise in Jesus' name.